Now turn with me this morning in your Bible to Paul's letter to the Philippian church. We'll read again from Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to commence reading today at the verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. We'll just read a few verses. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 19. And we pray God will stamp his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 1 and the verse 12. It reads as follows, But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And my theme today is simply this. Remember, or remembering, that God is in control. Now the church at Philippi, to whom the Apostle Paul was writing to from his prison cell in Rome, was having a hard time understanding and grasping what was happening to the work of God at this time. To them it seemed as if the cause of God was lurching from one crisis to another crisis. After all, the Apostle Paul, the main man, was in prison at Rome. And the gospel ministry was being hindered. I want you to think of the Apostle Paul having been arrested in Rome and falsely accused and brought before the Sanhedrin council and sent from there to Felix, the Roman governor. And then he was brought before Festus and then King Agrippa. And still as a prisoner, he's taken from Caesarea on the coast to the uh, capital of the Roman world, Rome itself. En route, he almost lost his life when he was shipwrecked off the coast of Malta. Thankfully, his life was spared. And after many months, he arrives in Rome. Remember, Nero, the emperor, is on the throne, a very ungodly, wicked man. And Paul is placed immediately under house arrest and under constant guard. He's prevented from having and continuing his usual act of gospel ministry. He's away from family. 
He's away from friends. He, he's out of fellowship with the people of God. He's chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. Seven days per week. Week running into months. And God's people in Philippi, they look in this situation and they're shaking their head. And they're saying it's terrible. Paul is a prisoner. The gospel's being hindered. It can't prosper. And these believers and their hearts and minds are full of doubt. Their hearts and minds are full of questions. Well, well, why does God allow this? How could God allow this if he's all-powerful and sovereign? Uh, What on earth is God doing in this situation? You see, it's all hard to understand. It, It seems surreal to them. To them, it's not right. To them, it's not necessary. Now, of course, we as believers today often experience the same kinds of doubt with the same kinds of questions, especially where we're faced with situations in life that we can't fully understand. A loved one has died unexpectedly. A loved one or a friend is smitten with a serious illness. Or someone is facing a a series of extreme disappointments or other things happen in the life of the church that we just haven't planned for or prepared for. Something just comes out of a blue and and hits you like a a, a wrecking ball and and your whole life is shattered. Your, Your whole little world is shaken and your faith to the very core is being challenged. You wrestle with questions in your mind. Your mind can be filled with doubt and fear and and worries. Your heart can be gripped with dismay and despair. You begin to think, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe God is displeased with me. Maybe I have sinned against him in some way and I'm being punished for this. Now, if you're thinking that, then I want to tell you Nothing could be further from the truth. Look with me very closely at verse 12. The Apostle Paul is making another very personal statement here. He's making a statement about his own experiences, his own life situation. He's talking about the events that are unfolding at this present time in his life. You see, the Apostle Paul sees things differently. Paul looked at life through different glasses. He's looking at life through the gospel glasses. And he's writing, of course, to encourage these believers at Philippi. And he points them ultimately and back each time to the Lord. And he's saying to them, literally, don't be discouraged. Don't be in a state of despair about me. Because God himself has a purpose in everything that he's doing. So the things that happened unto me, the things that have come providentially, and the things that have come sovereignly into my life, these things have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. So the gospel's not being hindered. The work of God has not been stopped. Let's remember, of course, God is in absolute sovereign control of every event in each of our lives. Therefore, let's not be over anxious. Let's not fall into a state of despair. 
Let's not say with Jacob, all these things are against me because God himself ultimately is fully in charge. And if you want a title for Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, it's this. Remember that God is in control. Let's read the words together. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, as you remember that God's in control, remember three things. The title that he used. Look at the book. Look at the text. But I would you should understand, brethren. We'll pause there. A careful reading of the Philippians letter reveals that the Apostle Paul uses a number of different names to describe the people of God. To describe what we are in our relationship with God. And the word brethren is used eight times. The first is in chapter 1 verse 12, chapter 1 verse 14, chapter 3 verse 1, chapter 3 13, chapter 3 17, chapter 4 verse 1, chapter 4 verse 8, finally my brethren, and chapter 4 verse 21. Now that word I believe is used deliberately by the Holy Spirit. Of course we believe in verbal inspiration as well as plenary inspiration. Verbal inspiration means word for word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness. And every word is important. And we can't gloss over the words. And the word brethren, as I read it, speaks of a family. When I read the word brethren, I think of a family. And I want you to think of a family. I want you to think of a father and a mother. And I want you to think of brothers and sisters. And I want you to think of other siblings. Now I said it was eight times in the book of Philippians. Eight in biblical numerics is the number of beginning. And what Paul is doing is underlining the importance of belonging to a family. But I would you should understand, brethren, you who belong to God's family in Philippi. I want to ask the question this morning, are you a member of God's family? Was there a day, a time in your life when you were born again of the Holy Spirit? A moment when the word of God came and warmed your heart? In such a way that you felt your life was affected, changed and transformed. And from that moment, you haven't been the same person. Has there been a time in your life when you've been convicted of your sin? And you've come to God and cried, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And you've been convinced of your need of Christ. And you've gone to Christ. Because remember, whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And by calling on the Lord, you've been converted. And that day for you was a day of new beginnings. And we can talk about the day of our physical birth. And we've mentioned some birthdays. Baby Iona here, uh, Sarah Jean. Uh, and we could also talk about the day of one's second birth. The Bible tells us there in the uh, book of uh, Peter, in Peter chapter 1 and in the verse 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God generates faith 
and regenerates us. That is, the Word of God has a, an important role in this new beginning. Whenever Martin Luther in 1512 to 1515 was the professor of Bible studies in the university there in Erfurt and Wittenberg, he was studying the book of Romans. And he was studying Romans chapter 1 verse 17 where it says, For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And this is what he said, and I quote, I was saved with conviction that I must understand Paul's letter to the Romans. Then I began to understand that the righteousness of God is a gift of God. Grounded in the good news of Jesus Christ, his person and work, received namely by faith. Here I felt as if I were entirely born again and had entered paradise and this passage of Paul became to me a gate of heaven. And I just want to ask you, has there been a time in your life when that has been true of you? And by that, you've been brought into God's family. Are you one of the brethren today in Christ, in God's family, because there was a time when you were convicted of your sin, convinced of your need of Christ, and converted through the reading or the preaching or the hearing of the word of God. Because remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so there's the title that he used. And it's important that you remember that. The second thing is this. I want you to discover the testimony that he uttered. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. The things which happened unto me. Now we'll stop there. The things, that's mentioned 27 times in this epistle. What things? The day of his birth, his upbringing, his background, his education, his conversion, his ministry. Remember his three missionary journeys? His arrest in Jerusalem? His shipwrecks? His imprisonment? And here he is now in a Roman jail awaiting the executioner's sword under Nero's orders. All these things, they're all included. And loads more. And if you look at the immediate context, look, look with me at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ. He's thinking primarily of his imprisonment in Rome. Are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. There's two things I want you to grasp here. The testimony that he uttered. God plans the events. Of life. God plans the events of life. The events of life are God's appointments. You see, to an outsider, the Apostle Paul just faced a series of unfortunate events. It's not the name of a film, I think. 
He was in the wrong place. He mixed with the wrong people. He got the wrong judge. He was in the wrong prison cell. You see, when, when people thought of Paul in prison and the gospel being hindered, they thought, well, Paul's God's no good. Paul's Christianity can't be up to much. It, it's a very strange thing to understand that. It's not what we would choose. It, it's not what we would order for a, a man or a person's life. Now that may be true. But listen to this. What Paul says. The things which happened unto me. And the word happened means to come. The things that have come to me have come to me because they've been controlled and ordered and foreordained by the Lord. In the Geneva Bible, the word happened according to Calvin and his translation. He, he rendered it the things which come to me. You see, it's not by chance. It's not by fate or accident or karma. Come is a reference to somewhere outside of Paul or, or someone other than Paul. You see, things just don't come from nowhere, out of nothing. All the trials and all the troubles I face have come to me in God's sovereign plan, in God's sovereign purpose. And whatever and whenever trials and tribulations come to us, how do we see them? Do we view them as just random events? The answer is no. We have to view them as being sent by the hand of a loving God that they've come by divine appointment. Why? Well, we don't know. But we have to accept that God plans the events of life. Paul's in prison for Christ's sake. He's there for the love of Christ's gospel. He's there as Christ's servant. Paul's in prison by the will of God. These bonds in prison were because of Christ. If you think of verse 17, he says, But the love of others, knowing that I'm set for the defense of the gospel. He's in the will of God. He has been destined to do this. The word sent means to appoint or destined. You see, it all ties into God's decree. God is the ultimate director and controller of all things. It's not blind fate. It's not without rhyme or reason that Paul's in prison. It's not good luck or bad luck. No, Paul... As far as the outworking of his life is concerned, <coughs> thinks of God in ultimate sovereign control. God providentially controlling all the events in his life. That's why Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 8 and <coughs> verse 28, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. <coughs> And you just have to think of Jacob for a moment in the Old Testament. Remember he said all these things are against me when they weren't. Think of Joseph. 
He said to his brethren later on, after he revealed himself to them, Ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The word meant means to weave, to, to fabricate. You, you've got to think of, of cross stitches out of a, a tangled mess. God meant it this way. Being sold as a slave at the age of 17. Taken from the pit. Put into Potiphar's house. Then put into prison. Treated badly in prison for 13 years. What is happening to me? What on earth is going on in Joseph's life? Well, God meant it for good. In other words, God was weaving. God was fabricating it for good. Think of Job. Nobody faced trials and troubles like Job, did they? And the trials and troubles didn't come because Job had sinned. Job was a holy man who feared God and he hated evil. He was a real good godly man. Job said, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. You see, God is in control of every aspect of Joseph's life, Job's life, and Jacob's life. And that's also true of us. And it's especially true of us in Christ. Life then isn't out of control. God is on the throne. He hasn't abdicated. And the, the uh, simple truth is, all of life's events are planned by God. God plans the events of life. God, of course, is independent. God is constantly in control, providentially sovereign in control. And once we get a hold of this, your life and mine, uh, the life of the church, that God is an absolute sovereign, independent, constant, uh, providential control behind the scenes, then we begin to see things differently. Not only the plans of God, but the purposes of God in the events of life. You see, God has a gospel purpose in all that he appoints, in all that he plans. The Philippian believers couldn't grasp or understand this fact either. As far as they were concerned, trials and troubles, that bad stuff that comes, it hinders the proclamation of the gospel. It stops the progress of the work and the word of God. And Paul's writing to them and says, No, it doesn't. Because if God is in control, and God has a plan allowing this to happen, permitting this to happen, then in that plan, God has a purpose. What he's saying is, don't think for one moment, brethren, that God has not got a gospel purpose in all this. Because he has. You see, Paul's active ministry hadn't really stopped. It was continuing. Even though he was in a prison cell, even though he was uh, chained to a prisoner or, or a Roman guard 24-7. Yes, the three missionary journeys were over. The fact that he preached to thousands. The fact that he was free to travel to various cities and strengthen the brethren. Yes, all that had ceased, but his ministry was still ongoing. It was a different phase of the ministry now, but it was still ongoing. Rome was the center of the world's power of the day. If you look at verse 14, 13, it says, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. That was the place where Nero lived, with all his guards and servants, and in all other places. So throughout the city of Rome and beyond they were talking about the Apostle Paul and his ministry and his testimony. 
this wasn't a calamity. This was an opportunity. God had a gospel purpose. And you know, even in life's situation today, God has a gospel purpose. A, a few weeks ago, Sydney and I might be saying this, we, we had the funeral service for, for Olive. Um, and I think of those few months that she was in the hospital, undergoing tests. She was in the waiting room. She was in the ward. And you know what she was? She was a witness for Christ. Her life and her lip. Whether it was the nurse or the doctor or another patient, she was a witness for Christ. She, she was testifying in the midst of her own experiences, in the midst of her own illness, that she could get a word in for the Savior. And you see, that opened doors that necessarily wouldn't have opened if those trials hadn't have come. That's what Paul is getting at. My imprisonment, it's for the furtherance of the gospel. I can witness to the guard. And the guard will witness to somebody else. And when the guards change, they'll also witness to him. And those that come to visit me, I'll witness to them. I'll I, I write letters, their letter I'm writing to you. You see, others are being encouraged by Paul. In, in fact, if you look at what he says in verse 14, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by, by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, they have been heartened. They have been strengthened. They have been buoyed up. They have been fired up. Look at Paul. Paul's in prison. Oh, he's not downcast. He's confident. He's content in the gospel. He's committed to Christ. Oh, yes, he's facing hardship and trial. He's facing death. But let's be encouraged by him. Let's, let's follow Paul's example. Let's be bold to speak the word of God without fear. Was there fear among the Philippians? Yes, there was. Was there fear in the hearts and minds of other Christians because Paul was in prison? Yes, we better say nothing. Let, let, let's not speak out. Let, let's not say anything bad about Nero. But Paul's example. You see, Paul, remember, spoke to the Sanhedrin council. He spoke to Felix. He witnessed to Festus. He witnessed to King Agrippa. In fact, King Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He, he witnessed to the Roman soldiers. He, he, he witnessed to, to members of the other guard. He was bold in his declaration of the gospel. And if Paul had not been in that situation, then these Christians couldn't have learned from Paul's example. So, so, so there was another aspect, the testimony that he uttered. God plans the events of our lives and God purposes the events of our lives for a gospel purpose, for a good reason. Now, three little things as we finish. I want you to think of the teaching that he underlined. Because he uses the word, but I would you should understand, brethren. That is, Take into your mind. See, God has a reason for trials and troubles. And these trials and troubles, they, they give us an opportunity to promote the gospel. And here's the teaching that Paul has in mind. They reveal the power of the gospel in personal experience. Christ meant something to Paul, even in prison. Paul didn't deny Christ in prison. 
He didn't say, look, I'll stop preaching. I'll never give him a testimony again. I'll never mention the name of Jesus if you let me out of here, even though he was facing death. No, he says, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In bad days and in hard times, as well as in good times, Christ meant something to the Apostle Paul. He had that testimony that he loved Christ, that he was loyal to Christ, that, that he was living for Christ. So it reveals the power of the gospel in personal experience. It also reviews the power of the gospel in painful experience. Because when the trials come, when those bad days arrive, when the hard seasons appear, what do we learn? We learn more of Christ and the gospel. We learn that Christ is not only our saviour, but he's our best friend. Doesn't the Bible tell us there's a friend that sticketh closer than any brother? And who is that friend? It's none other than the lovely Lord Jesus himself. The one who has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The one who's graven us in the palms of his hand. The one who carries our names in heaven before God on his heart. The one who makes us a promise. Remember what Paul was told by God whenever he prayed about the thorn in the flesh. Three times asked for it to be taken away and three times God was saying to him, no, no. I'm not going to answer that prayer the way you want. But this is what I'm going to do for you, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. You see, Christ was real. And, and in the trial and in the difficulty, they learnt more in Christ. And they learnt more of him. And, and trials of a habit of doing that. They, 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 they bring us closer to the Saviour. They, they give us a greater appreciation of him. We discover, well, well, God is too wise to do anything bad, too, 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 too good to make a mistake. So, so there's a review of the power of the gospel in painful experiences. And also we rejoice in the power of the gospel in prospectful experiences. If you look with me at verse 18, Paul says, what then, notwithstanding in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. You see, what was happening is, Paul was in prison, and there was people going about preaching the gospel. Some were doing it out of pretense, to try and get Paul into further trouble, to, to agitate and stir up things. And others were doing it in sincerity, and in truth. But Paul was saying, <clears throat> even though there's agitators out there saying that I sent them and saying this is Paul's gospel, I'm going to rejoice that Christ is being preached. And that's what he means there in the verse 18. <laughs> what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. And, and, and isn't that a very important thing, to rejoice in the power of the gospel. This book is all about joy. Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. And Paul is glad that Christ is being talked about. 
whatever the circumstances are, even in hard days and difficult times. Yes, it's true that God is an absolute sovereign tool. It's true that God has planned life events. It's true that God has a gospel purpose in that. And if that's true, then I want to rejoice. And I want to rejoice that Christ is being mentioned. That's the teaching. And you know, if we could begin to sort of analyze that in our mind, that the trials and troubles reveal the power of the gospel experience. Is Christ real? Is he true when your wee world falls apart? Yes, it is. And, and, and you can learn about Christ in a, in a greater way and in a deeper fashion. And, and you can still rejoice. You can have a smile in your face. You can have a, a peaceful calm in your soul. You see, that's the reality of the gospel experience. And that's what he's teaching here. That's what he underlines in the word, I would, that you would understand, brethren. Let me just ask, as we finish, what does Christ mean to you? Can you rejoice in Christ? Can you learn more of him, even in trials and difficulty? Can you say, Lord, teach me? What does Christ really mean to you this morning? Is he all in all? Or does he mean nothing at all? Only you can answer. We would encourage you to come to know and love him, to live for him and be loyal to him, to the best of your ability by the grace of God. May the Lord take these few thoughts and bless them to you this morning.